Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Um, today, we celebrate Easter. Now, if this is your first time to join us, or maybe the first time in a long time, I personally want to say welcome. And I'm glad, we are glad you're here. Today, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And we're not the only ones celebrating Easter today. We join with billions of Christians all over the world to celebrate what happened almost 2,000 years ago in the city of Jerusalem. On the one hand, today is unique because, you know, we're doing this annually and we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. But on the other hand, it's a mirror to really every Sunday that the church gathers to celebrate because we're celebrating the resurrection. The Easter celebration of resurrection, it's not meant to be a once a year celebration, not really a once a week celebration, but it's meant to be a daily celebration, particularly in the hearts of the followers of Jesus right from the moment 2,000 years ago until now. And ultimately, for eternity, we're gonna celebrate this. Now, I wanna start our time together with a couple of questions. Here's the first one. From your perspective, what's the greatest moment in the history of the world? Huge question, I know. We're gonna all answer it differently and we're gonna, you know, if we could hear everybody's answers, they'd be very different. Um, some might say, you know, if you're an American, that the signing of the Declaration of Independence, that was it. Maybe it was the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. Maybe that was just the greatest day in history. Maybe it was when Martin Luther King Jr. gave his speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Maybe more recently, it was the falling of the, of the Berlin Wall, which effectively signaled the end of communism in Europe. Maybe if you're, if you're right here in Baton Rouge, it was LSU winning a national championship after a perfect season. That seems kind of small though, doesn't it? When we consider world history, the greatest moment would have to have, would, would have to be that moment that had the largest global impact. So today, we're gonna to see that the greatest moment in human history is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. In that victorious moment, God offered hope to the world in a way he'd never done before or since. So we're gonna talk more about that in a minute. Here's my second question. What's the greatest moment in your life? Now that one's a little easier, it's personal, it's intimate. Uh, right here in, in April, we're thinking, a lot of people are thinking about graduation. Maybe graduation was one of those greatest days of my life. Maybe it was your wedding day. Sure was for me. Maybe it was maybe getting a puppy. And those are usually, they, they sound like a good idea, but then they chew up a bunch of stuff. Maybe it was buying your first home. Maybe it was having your first child. Maybe it's, maybe it's retirement. Maybe that hadn't happened yet, but you're looking forward to it. Now, there's something important to note here. Very rarely do these two moments, the greatest thing in world history and the greatest moment in your life, intersect when we think of them this way. However, today, we're gonna see and we're going to look at a moment that not, it's not just the greatest in the history of the world, but it can be the greatest in our life. That's the history, that's the resurrection, because it intersects for followers of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're watching this and, and you're still investigating Jesus, first, I'm so glad that you're here. And today, I'm praying that those two moments, right, could intersect your life today. 
But we'll see, you see, because Jesus's resurrection offers hope, not only to the world, but it gives us hope when we trust in him. So that's a word you'll hear throughout, hope, hope, hope. Now, if you've been with us, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, which is really the biography of the life of Jesus. It was researched and written down by a disciple, Luke, who was also a physician. And today we're continuing to look at moments in Jesus' life, except the resurrection moment is different. This moment actually transcends time and location. And because this is so, Jesus' resurrection has the ability to fill us with hope today. Now, before we jump into the passage, I want to remind you uh, of what has happened. Jesus has actually died. His crucifixion is described in Luke chapter 23. Here's what he said just before he died. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, when he said this, he breathed his last. At this moment, at his death, all the momentum of the Jesus movement, the three years of his teaching and healing came to a screeching halt. The disciples, the men and women who were with him and others that followed him, they were scared. They were devastated. They were confused. Their hopes were dashed. Had they misunderstood? Had Jesus simply been, as I heard somebody say the other day, a radical rabbi that tried to create an uprising and overthrow the Romans and then died for it? They had just watched their friend, their brother, their son, their teacher, executed as an innocent man. Even the governor of the region, Pilate, found no basis for the accusations against Jesus, and he said so. In Luke 23, 4, it says this, Then Pilate announced to the chief priest and to the crowd, I find no basis for charge, for a charge against this man. See, many, many of them had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the chosen one of Israel. He was their deliverer and redeemer. And he died hanging on a Roman cross. If there was if there was one thing the Jewish people believed they understood about the Messiah was that he doesn't get killed, especially, especially by the Romans, and definitely in no way by the humiliation of public execution by hanging on a cross. So needless to say, Jesus' followers were not only devastated at the loss of somebody they loved, they were confused about what was going on, confused about the many things that they had seen and heard, the miracles and the teaching. Now, after Jesus died, a man named Joseph, who was actually a member of the Jewish ruling council, but also a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ, he went to Pilate, the governor, and asked for permission to retrieve Jesus's body from the cross. And, and he had, he had a, an unused tomb. It was in a garden. And he would lay Jesus' body in that tomb on Friday. And his garden, of course, would then become a graveyard. And Jesus' body was kind of quickly prepared for burial by some of the women who had followed Jesus, who had financially supported his ministry. They rushed to be done before the Sabbath started, which would be Friday night. And the tomb was then sealed and actually guarded by Jewish, uh, by Romans, because the Jewish leaders, they didn't want anybody taking the body. 
So that's what's happening there. The, the women then, then they went home. And after Saturday, after the Sabbath, they prepared more spices and perfume to put on Jesus' body so that they finish preparing it for burial. And that would be the very first thing they would do the beginning of the week, Sunday, the first day of the week. They're going to go back to the tomb and finish what they started. And that is where we pick up our story. Now, as I read through it, I want you to pay close attention to what the angels say to the women and the response um, to this reminder that they get from both those dedicated women and the Apostle Peter. So here's what happened. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to the others, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense to them. Now Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying there by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. What an amazing story of resurrection from the dead. The angels gave a reminder to these women. What was that reminder? It was a reminder that Jesus had said many times that he would actually die and be resurrected. Now, I, I've, I watch you know, young parents at our extravaganza. We had all of these children playing around, and I would watch these young parents tell their young children, hey, in just 10 minutes, we're going to pack up and we're going to leave. You know, they're getting them ready to leave something that their kids are really enjoying. That's the way I see Jesus all through his ministry. He told his disciples that he would actually die and be raised from the dead. These predictions were throughout his ministry. One of them came at a, uh, a point when the apostle Peter fully acknowledged and boldly proclaimed, maybe for the first time, that Jesus was God's Messiah. In response to that declaration, Jesus said, hey, I just need you to know I'm going to die and be raised from the dead. Here's the way it says it. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. <laughs> and then Jesus follows it up as soon as he says that. It's like a clarifying, preparing statement. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone 
And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. The angels are reminding them, actually kind of rebuking these disciples for forgetting what Jesus had clearly told them. And once he does that, they do remember. They remember, right? And in reminding them this, what they're saying is, everything is going as planned. You know, and so I want you to notice their quoting of Jesus included the word must. When we read what Jesus said, he said it twice. It must happen. And that's very important. Must, this, the resurrection must occur. So why must it happen? Well, frankly, this is God's plan to save humanity. Even Peter, in his very first sermon in the book of Acts, he declared that Jesus' death was part of God's plan. Things hasn't, haven't gone off the rails. The reality is that the cross is humanity's only hope of salvation, and the resurrection is the validation of the cross. So without the resurrection, all of Christianity falls apart. Theologian D.A. Carson um, quipped, the resurrection is the hinge on which all of Christianity swings on. I like that. The Apostle Paul put it even more bluntly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people must be pitied. If Jesus hasn't raised from the dead, then nothing he said or did is important. However, and this is important, if Jesus was raised from the dead, then everything he said and did is important. Why did, when Jesus said the resurrection must happen, what did he mean? The resurrection is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies about the person and work of the Messiah. The resurrection had to happen because God said it would. And so if it didn't, then God's a liar. He said it through his prophets, as we looked at on Good Friday. Isaiah chapters 52 and 53, those prophecies include a suffering Messiah who would take the punishment and death that we deserved. Without a resurrected Christ, then his payment for sin is obviously not enough. However, because he did rise from the dead, not theoretically, but actually, not philosophically, but historically, it validates his claims to be the savior of the world. It had to happen. Without the resurrection, Paul says, we're still in our sins. All of humanity would be left without hope of ever defeating sin and death. So the answer to why this must have happened is because Jesus was fulfilling God's plan for humanity's salvation. The resurrection is the singular hope of humanity. Without the resurrection, there's no hope Without the resurrection, the cross loses its meaning. Without the cross, humanity is left with no hope of ever being rescued and reconciled with our Creator. Therefore, the resurrection is the most important moment in human history because the impact is global. It makes so far-reaching. 
And that is why the angels reminded the women that Jesus said he must be crucified and raised from the dead. And when Peter, I mean, excuse me, when the women hear this, and when Peter hears this, and they believe resurrection, hmm, they are also infused with the hope of the resurrection. The resurrection was so life-altering for the apostle Peter is he would die for Christ. Now, people don't die for things they know to be a lie. And when he when Peter realized that Jesus was raised from the dead when he had seen Jesus, he said, "This is the real deal." And he gave his life for Christ. Not only that, he would be a leader in the church and he he would he would write uh, many years later letters to encourage the Christians who were actually being persecuted. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says this, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or, or fade. The Christian hope is inseparably anchored to the resurrection. Therefore, it's not just a, a temporal hope, it's an eternal hope. It's, it's a hope that is grounded in God himself. It's, it is a hope that just as our Savior was resurrected, one day we will join him in resurrected life where there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no sorrow or disease. We will be resurrected into a new life with a, with a, uh, a redeemed body, a resurrected body without the effects of sin. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth a place free of evil and free of sin. We will have an inheritance unlike anything this earth can offer. Our inheritance will not perish. It will not spoil. It will not fade. No one can take it from us. We will forever be in the presence of our Creator and King, amazed at His majesty and His splendor. This is the hope that Christians have. It is not dead, it is not stale, it is not empty. It's full of life because it is full of eternal life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now hope, when discussed in the Bible, it's, it's used in a much stronger, much surer way than the way it's used in everyday life today. People say, hey, I hope so. They just mean, I wish it to be true. Uh, it, it's a desired outcome I have, but there's often not a lot of confidence. But because of the hope in the Bible is built on God, it's sure. And so it expresses a confident expectation, a solid assurance. Because Jesus was raised from the dead by God, right? And promises that we too will be raised from the dead as we trust in him, we have hope. And hope does not disappoint us, as it says in Romans, because God, because God has done something. He's, he's poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. Hope does not, that confidence is not disappointing. When Peter talks about the resurrection in 1 Peter, he reminds his readers of just a few things I'd like to share that, that people with hope can do that's almost impossible to do without hope. And the first one is to endure difficulties in this life because we have hope. Peter said, even now for a little while, you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That's what he was saying to those that received his letter. How is it possible? Because 
life on earth is such a small part of the eternity that's guaranteed through the resurrection. When we consider the assurance of eternity guaranteed by God, we can get through difficult seasons. Secondly, we don't have to be overcome and consumed by the rat race of life. The Apostle Peter would say, hey, why don't you live as strangers in this world? We're simply passing on. And this is not our final stopping point. So we don't have to get all caught up in all the expectations of the culture around us. And we can also have an, we also have an inheritance, an eternity that's, that's untouchable by anything on this earth. It's sure. And finally, and this one's important for lots of people, we don't have to live in the fear of death, right? I said it's important to lots of people because many, many people are haunted by this, trying to, trying to live past this life, freezing their bodies, freezing their minds, you know, in some, some kind of chemical, hoping that they're gonna live forever. And in Jesus, we have this, this promise, this hope that because he rose from the dead, right? We will rise from the dead and share eternity with him, not apart from him. So on this Easter, in these difficult days, let me ask you, do you find that your life is without hope? Have you, have you lost hope? Are you going through a time that is so discouraging right now? It seems overwhelming. So many people are. Many, many people are. I just want to point out a few things from, the, from just the, the story of the resurrection, some principles that we can draw from that can really help us live in the hope of the resurrection. The first is, is simply this, that we need to quit looking for the living among the dead. Now, maybe the question the angels ask the women needs to be a question for us to answer. Why do we, especially followers of Jesus, why do we look for life and things um, that continually bring death? Why do we believe that there's gonna be some satisfaction out there, but only leads to death and disappointment? because so many of those things are just simply going to pass away. Now, the Bible spells it out pretty clearly in 1 John chapter 2. It says this, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, it doesn't come from God the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. If we are consumed by our cravings, overcome by our covetousness, constantly boasting about what we have, we're not gonna be content. What we'll be is endlessly comparing and competing, and therefore winning or losing. And in these situations, we're either gonna to try to build our hope on what we have, or we're gonna to try to build our hope on what we do and achieve. However, those things pass away, but if we build our hope on what doesn't change, the hope, the living hope of Jesus that never fades or passes away, then we, we don't have to be consumed by uh, seeking life and things that bring death. Secondly, uh, maybe like the disciples, uh, we have forgotten. We have forgotten what Jesus said and promised. And when this happens, of course, we lose our footing and our hope slips away too. Many of us have found hope when we trusted Christ, but we've forgotten. We've forgotten the good things he says. We've forgotten the beauty of the gospel. And when we forget the gospel and the promises of God, our hope is placed where? In our circumstances, in the opinions that, that others have on us. 
<laughs> and things, uh, those things don't lead to hope. They, they lead to despair often. So that's why we encourage people, you know, if, you're, if you can come, if you're available to join us, come to church on Sunday. Come and sit under the proclamation of the Word. That's why we have reading plans on our website. Be in the Word of God. Read it and remind yourself of the great promises of God. Because He said that Jesus would die and be raised from the dead, and that's exactly what happened. Jesus said it, and it's exactly what happened. God can be trusted that's why, that's why we want people to be in a community group, in a smaller group of people where the Word of God is shared and the promises of God are, are told to one another, right? That's why we can say with the psalmist, hey, my soul faints and, uh, with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your Word. We need it. My hope is in God who keeps His Word, who fulfills His promises, and who is raised from the dead. One of our members, Sandy, wants to share her story with you. A woman that's gone through a lot of difficulty, but what she found were people of hope give hope. And you'll hear her say that she found the hope of rehearsing the promises of God in her life through Psalm 23. You'll hear that the people of God shared the hope of the resurrection with her, and it gave her such strength in hopeless days. Take a minute and watch and listen to her story, and I pray that it would give you hope. 2010 in September, um, my daughter ended up making homecoming courts. It was her freshman year. And um, a couple of weeks later, I'm getting, my, Josh is late for school. Everybody's on the school bus at school. I have to be at work for seven o'clock. So Josh normally catch the bus at 6.35. So it's coming up to quarter to seven, seven o'clock. So I'm calling my supervisor saying I'm gonna be late. He end up um, catching the bus. I go grab my purse. I see smoke coming from the garage. And it was like just light, you know, trickles of smoke, but our lights went off. Fire department came. It felt like my house was burning for like 20, 30 minutes, but I know it was probably only seven minutes. And they told us it was electrical fire. Um, the hardest part was going through uh, all of our stuff. And my main thing was my kids' pictures and all their accomplishments and their trophies. I didn't care about the clothes and everything. We had our lives, but that was something that I know they worked hard for and I did too. Fast forward, we're just going and trying to find somewhere to live. We, we were like, we're done. We're not gonna take anything. Um, we had no homeowner's insurance. So we just had everyone coming in rallying, we're gonna help you, we're gonna put you in the hotel, we're gonna do this. And it was overwhelming to get so much help. But when it happened to me, that I think that was God saying, hey, look, let me tell you something. This is how it's gonna be. And then we found a place and we moved to, um, we moved off of Blue Bonnet 
and I loved the house, but it was a little too much money. But we made it work um, because we didn't have anywhere to live. We had to, I had to work extra. I had to ask for help. We ended up getting enough money to go ahead and get, get pay out to the lease and then find something else. So we had to find another place to stay. Um, so um, we ended up moving to Bermuda. We found a, a house. I'm like, I cannot do this anymore. I mean, you move from a house fire to this house. Then you move from this house to that. That's enough, four kids, furniture, all that. So move there, the kids start graduating high school. I'm working at the state um, as a clerk and I had been there for seven years. So um, the administration wanted to start cutting back. So we were the last ones at revenues for to you know um, be laid off. So um, was, and once that job ended, then um, it was like, what am I gonna do? But meanwhile, I was still working as a waitress at Orion's on Corsi Boulevard. So I always had a backup plan just in case something fell through. Um, after that, worked at Ryan's, then Ryan shut down. With all the things, the ball's been dropped and this, you just got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Pray, because I spent many nights, many days praying, saying, Lord, what's, what, what is going on? What is, why is this happening to me? But I've always said the Psalms. My grandmother always made us read the 23rd Psalm and recite it and recite it and recite it. And we had to know it. And by her doing that, that reminded me every time when something fell through, because everybody was like, are you okay? I was like, the Lord's my shepherd. I said, he has my back. He's my all. And I I have to, if you don't say it to yourself, you, you'll go the other way and you say, I'm defeated. I'm not... I'm not worthy enough. Why am you know? Why do I have to be in the hole all the time? And um, so I started cleaning houses, and got to the point to where um, I was making enough money to feed my family and roof over my head, still paying car insurance, doing, you know, and make sure everybody had their needs met. Um. So after that. Um, I end up wanting to have a full-time job, and I end up being approached by the chapel. But um, the community group was so awesome. Um, they really engaged with me. They, they can read you. They, they would read me. I, I just would say, I'm doing fine. Everything's good. Something's wrong. We know something's wrong. And then I'll just go, oh. And then we pray for each other, and you know, everybody has something going on. And this was the our community group was so when when one hurt, all of us hurt, and we all cried together, we all cried for each other. So, um, so that's when I, I started working at the chapel, and I mean it was a full-time job. 
I didn't have to worry about getting laid off. It worked. And I was still able to do my little side jobs and was, was able to still take care of my kids, take them to their practices, and do the run around on Saturdays and Sundays. So um, so I worked for I worked for the chapel for four and a half years. So I um I've had been getting offers from different people to uh, to work for them. Then I get a phone call saying that they were looking for somebody at the governor's mansion. And I was like, oh, don't know. I gotta I gotta check it out, you know, kinda iffy about it. So I went there. The interview process went well. Then um, they called me. Well, ma'am, I just want to let you know, welcome to the governor's mansion. And I was like, what? And a lot of people cried when I left, and I was, and I cried with them. And I still today still think about everybody that I've touched and impacted. And what they don't know, they impacted me because they showed me love. Um, when I really needed it. So I'm just saying, I just want y'all all to um, love each other. And it just doesn't have to be a church member. We need to love one another and uplift each other, hold each other up, you know? So that's all I have to say. Sandy, thanks so much for taking the time to just share your life story with us. Now, before we go, there's still one more piece of this story that I think is worth noticing. Maybe you're like Peter and you have lots of questions about the resurrection. Maybe you hear what Christians say and it just seems like nonsense. And you, but you won't investigate. You won't get up and go look for yourself. Worse than that, I meet Christians who struggle with their faith, they have doubts, and they never investigate. That leaves them very insecure. Timothy Keller, in his book, Reason for God, says this. It's very helpful. A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do, they're gonna find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy are the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years, if he has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. I wonder if you have the courage to investigate your doubts, to really dig and, and try to understand what you're thinking, what you're scared of, right? You know, to follow Christ and, and be too busy or indifferent, you're gonna, gonna lose hope. You're gonna lose confidence. God can handle your questions. It takes courage to ask questions, but God can handle it. So I would encourage you, if you have questions about Jesus, if you have doubts in your faith, investigate. Don't just, don't just be indifferent to it. I love the fact that Peter couldn't understand what was going on. He didn't just pass it by. He got up and he went and looked for himself. He investigated. He questions. Now, to be clear, it takes real courage to consider and honestly respond to the claims of Christ. 
If you are here and you've never trusted in Christ, I wanna share one of his most audacious claims with you. It's appropriate on Easter. And he addressed it to one of his friends, Martha, because her, her little brother died and had been dead for four days and she had lost all hope. And he claims boldly to be the resurrection. And in him, there should be hope. It's a powerful statement, but it's followed up by a critical question, a question we must all answer. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said to Martha, you need to trust me because in me is resurrection because I am the resurrection. I will be resurrected and there's hope there. She didn't know that it was coming and he did raise her brother Lazarus from the dead but you still have to go, do I believe it? When we trust Christ, the most important moment in history, the day that Jesus was raised from the dead becomes the greatest moment in our life because now the hope that has been offered to the world nearly 2,000 years ago becomes the hope that allows me to live in this life and not be consumed uh, by chasing all the things that are around me but I, I can live in him with hope that I will be with him forever in eternity. I wonder if you today would trust in Christ if you never have, would you put your faith in him? And if you're struggling with hope today, I wonder, have you forgotten the promises of God? I wonder, have you been consumed and chasing for things that only bring death and you're looking for life? Have you been looking for the living among the dead? Maybe it's just time to stop and bow our knees and say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you for life. I'm going to remember your promises and I'm going to trust them as we move forward. There's so much that Jesus has for you. It's my prayer that today you would avail yourself more to it. So let me pray for us as we end. Father God, thank you so very much that Jesus rose from the dead, not philosophically, but historically actually rose from the dead and that means Christianity is true and that means we can have hope. Lord, I pray for those who need to trust you today that they would bow the knee of their heart. If that's you, just say, Lord, today I want to trust you. Maybe you need to just confess. I've been seeking to find life and things that only bring death and turn again to Jesus. Maybe you've forgotten that he's the resurrection and the life. Maybe you need to remind yourself that he's the good shepherd. Maybe you just need to trust him. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Again, happy Easter. Thanks for joining us. If you have any questions about being a Christian, please visit our website, thechapelbr.com yes. And we pray that you have a wonderful day. God bless. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.